What's up, guys? Ryan Horn here, and welcome to the Extraordinary Man Podcast. This is the one and only podcast specifically designed to help married businessmen create more profit and purpose in their business without sacrificing their family, health, or marriage in the process. Each week, I interview some of the world's most extraordinary men, including seven- and eight-figure entrepreneurs, elite athletes, best-selling authors, and world-class speakers. Today, I'm going to be interviewing James Leith. James is a mental performance coach and the founder of Unleash the Athlete. With a bachelor's in communication, a master's in performance psychology, and almost 20 years of coaching experience, Coach Leith teaches leadership, character, and mental resilience to elite performers in sport, theater, and business through keynotes, workshops, and online courses. Using stories, improvisation, audience participation, and lots of energy, James provides an experience for the audience with clear takeaways for continued growth. All-day workshops like his Do, Say, Be formula for developing leaders and empowering them to take ownership in their personal development through goal-setting, self-talk, commitment, and teamwork. I got to know James because he was a speaker at a recent event I attended and he blew me away. You know, I went up to him afterwards and asked him to be on the show and thankfully he agreed. So James, it is so great to have you on the show today. How's it going, man? Hey, Ryan. It's going well. It's great to see you again and uh, I'm glad that we met. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'd love if we could dive into a little bit more of your story. Like what was the journey like uh, going from where you started out to where you are today? Well, I mean, for me... Uh, just the thing that probably had the most impact on me was during high school, I had a father who uh, did the best he could, but he was an alcoholic. And because of that, he kind of was emotionally not there, right? Emotionally absent. And so I was really blessed. I had a lot of great coaches. I had a lot of bad coaches too, but they, they kind of balanced each other out. And I got a, a pretty good upbringing. And uh, for my dad, he told me that I needed to either have a job or be on a team. So I just went like from sport to sport to sport. And uh, for me, that experience really gave me an opportunity to be around a lot of adults. And when you're in that really formulative time to be around strong men and women, you can kind of pick and choose what you want. Like, I like that. I like that. I like that. And so uh, I try to be really intentional with the, kind of the man that I've become and, and just on my journey. And so I guess that's probably a good place to start. It's just in high school. That's awesome. All right. I got to dive into this question because I know this one might take a little while. So the uh, event that I saw you speak at, you talked about Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz and how she's such <laughs> a great leader and what we can yeah, what we can learn from her. And I, I've never heard anybody on that topic before. So I would love if, if you could you know, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, that was that that happened on accident. I was at a, a leadership retreat with about 30 people maybe 12 years ago now. And the, the woman who was facilitating it, she said, she, we went around the table and everybody had to say who their favorite leader was. I was number 30. So by the time they got to me, every leader, even cartoons were thrown out there. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, I can't say any of the leaders because I, I want to be original. You always want to be original. And so she was like, James, you know, who's your favorite leader? And someone you look up to, and I was a little agitated. And so I just go, Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. And she goes, oh, wow, that's really fascinating. I've never heard that before. Can you elaborate? And I, I remember looking around like, you didn't ask anybody else to elaborate. you know? So I was like, all right, challenge accepted. So uh, I started talking and she's, oh, could you please stand up? Because you know it's leadership, right? So I was like, yeah, sure. So I started talking about how Dorothy had this dream. She had this ambition to, to be bigger than what she was. She wanted to leave Kansas and do this thing. And 
in this story, she has Toto, which Toto, and mind you, as I'm saying this to her, I'm making it up. All I'm doing is walking through the story of Wizard of Oz, hoping that I come up with some kind of point. And I was like, you know, Toto's the, the conscience, you know, the, the Jiminy Cricket of the story. And so she wants to save her conscience. And so she leaves and she takes off and she meets uh, her first mentor, which is Professor Marvel. And Professor Marvel, he kind of gives her an idea of what the future could look like. And he was kind of a charlatan. So he didn't really know what he was doing and uh, kind of scared her. So she, like a lot of people, when they leave home, they starts. I need to go back home. I need to go see Auntie M. But when she gets home, she runs into a situation a lot of us run into. And then when we leave home, when we leave the chaos that we call family or home life, and it's different for everybody, for a lot of people, it's just, you get used to this craziness, but when you come home, you've grown, you have new experiences. And so for her, it was a literal tornado, (laughs) but I can remember leaving home and then coming back and being like, how did I live in this? How did I live in this just chaos? Well, she's looking for anything familiar. And uh, all of a sudden she kind of gets bopped on the head and sees all these crazy things. These guys are in a rowboat in the sky. This woman on a bicycle, Mrs. Gold, she turns into a witch, Uh, a cow flies. I mean, it's really crazy stuff. And then everything's in color. Like she, she kind of opens up her eyes and looks around and she goes outside and she sees everything in color for the first time, which again happens when we are intentional about life experience. And so Dorothy, the reason why I think she's a great leader is because when she goes on this journey and, and sees all these weird looking people, these munchkins, they speak a different language or at least in a different way. And uh, she runs into the best mentor she could have ever had, which is uh, the, the wicked or the good witch, right? Glinda, the good witch. And Glinda's a good mentor. She doesn't say, here's what you got to do. Do this, 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 and this. She just says, here's the first step of the journey that you need to go on in order to achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve. Follow the yellow brick road. So she takes off on this journey and she's got Toto and they're cruising along. And what happens is when you leave home and you go off on an adventure, the first thing you do is try to acquire knowledge. You're reading the books and you are um, downloading the podcasts and, and listening to audiobooks. So she runs into this, this uh, scarecrow. Scarecrow needs a brain. And as she's talking to this scarecrow, she doesn't try to give any, any advice. She just says, come with me. And that's what a good leader does. Like, come with me. So they're walking along this trail and they, you know, they come across an obstacle, you know, cause they're hungry. So they go up to this tree and they grab an apple and then the trees start throwing apples at them, which is a very weird thing to happen, but they get through it together because it's always easier to overcome obstacles when you're with a teammate, a friend, you know, a compadre. And that runs them into this situation that happens oftentimes is we gain all this knowledge and then we kind of lose faith. Like, why did I leave? It's easier at home. I should just go back home. She runs into the Tin Man and, you know, coincidentally, the Tin Man needs a heart and the heart symbolizes faith. You need to have more of, you know, faith and, and just like, you're doing the right thing. You're on God's path. Like, let's keep going. And so again, with the Tin Man, just like the, the scarecrow, she says, come with me, like, come with me. Don't, I'm not going to try to help you. I want you to help us again. That's a great leader, right? Just come with me. So they take off. And what happens after you've gained all the knowledge and after you've gained the, the faith to keep going, God puts you in these amazing situations where it's terrifying. You're in front of people and audiences and in situations that 
you've never been in before. You may even have never dreamed of being in these situations before, but there you are and you need courage. You need to stand in the face of fear. And who does she meet? The cowardly lion. And the cowardly lion is not Mufasa. He's, he's barely even scar, right? He's just this, like, he's scared of his tail. He, he can't really, he, he's supposed to be the king of the jungle and, and of the forest. And he's not. And she says, come with me. So here they go. You got the, you got the scarecrow, you got the tin man, you got the cowardly lion. And they get to the Emerald City and this huge door. And a lot of times people will get up to this door and they will go through all the struggles and all the turmoil and then they never knock. And that's biblical, right? Knock and the door will be opened and she knocks. And when she knocks, this guy who looks a lot like Professor Marvel and the wizard later on, but I think that's just a casting issue. He comes to this door and he's like, go away, slams the door in their face. And she's like, nope, like I need some more. So she finally gets in to see the wizard. Now, when I first told this story, remember, I'm making it up I'm in front of peers that are just like st staring at me like, where's this guy going? It's like 20 minutes into the story because I went into more detail because I was I was like, you know what? I sat here through all your leaders. Now you got to sit through my leader. So they get in front of this wizard and the wizard gives them a task. And that's what happens is that you get tested. Once you get in the door, once you've done the, the research, once you believe that that's what you really want to do and you have your why and you have the courage, you got you to gotta overcome some stuff. That's where leadership comes is overcoming adversity. So they go on this journey to get the, the witch's broomstick because that's what the wizard said they had to do. And they get to this castle and it's, it's crazy. They had to fight flying monkeys and there's just and the flying monkeys, you remember when I pulled up that photograph, <laughs> it's like the only thing in my presentation, right? Cause I uh, need people to remember how terrifying awesome. those were. <laughs> they are. If you don't remember, go Google it. They're so scary. So yeah, they, 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 they get through the flying monkeys, the monkeys tear apart the scarecrow. And, but anyways, they get to the, the castle, Dorothy, the good leader she is, sees that the cowardly lion is on fire. So she throws water on the lion, misses the lion, melts the witch and gets the broom. But an interesting thing happens is that when she, it, you know, the witch is gone, all the soldiers that were protecting the witch are now loyal to Dorothy because true leadership is always found. It's always sought, it's sought out after all the time. But if you're a true leader, you will be found. You just got to just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. So all these soldiers are like, Dorothy, whatever you need, here you go. Like, take this, take that. So they go back to the Emerald City, passing through the, the poppy field where they all got high. People forget about that part. But they finally get there. And this wizard tries to scare him away, trying to say, you know what? You need to do more. And Dorothy's like, no, because what happens is when you become a leader and you've overcome stuff, you have strength, you have wisdom, and you have this, this idea of like, no, 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 I, I'm I worked hard to be here. I'm not going to let you take that away from me. You're not sending me away again. Well, then Toto, her conscience pulls the curtain back and it reveals this scared old man. And this is a point in the, when I, when during the audience, I was just like, and that's what happens. Like we find out that when you get to the top, nobody knows what they're doing. Like everybody's just, even just flying by the seat of their pants. And uh, the, this wizard says, okay, so I'm not this big wizard. You're right. You caught me, you know, but I can still help you. So he goes into his little treasure chest and he gives the scarecrow a diploma. And all of a sudden the scarecrow is like 
spouting off all these facts and stuff. So it was already inside of him. He just needed that piece of paper to, to prove it to him. And that happens. We go to school and we don't really, we don't really like learn a whole lot of stuff, but we learn how to learn. And that's the most important part of school until you get in your master's and your doctorate and stuff. But then the tin man gets a, a, a clock and this clock is supposed to symbolize these moments that make our heart beat. And then the, the, the lion, the lion gets a medal, this medal of honor. And all of a sudden he's got all this courage. Again, all three of them got something that was already inside of them. It just released it. And that's it. The wizard doesn't have anything else. And Dorothy doesn't get anything. But like a true leader, she's okay with that. And her followers, all three of them are like, wait a minute, what about Dorothy? Let's go. What about Dorothy? And I like to, I like to pause right here and say this, this happens for us in that like if you post something online on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and then people attack you, the, the bigger you are, the more influence you have, the louder your haters are. And so people are going to go in the comments and just try to tear you down. Like, who are you, Ryan, to do a manhood podcast? You're nobody, right? Like, these are stupid things. And you're like, well, if I don't do it, who's going to do it, right? And so I'm so glad that you're doing something like this. And don't listen to them. You know, Joe Rogan will tell you, don't even read the comments. But what happens in the comments is that your team and your followers, they start going to bat for you. So you don't even have to answer them. I'm sure you've seen that, right? Definitely, yeah. 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 And so people have said awful things about me. I'm like, I wasn't even at that place when you said I was like, it was just ridiculous that things that people have said, but you know, you just got to move on because people want to bring you down to their level. And a true leader recognizes that and just keeps on going because they have a purpose that is bigger than some critic that doesn't know what they're talking about. So then the wizard's like, look, Dorothy, um, I could take you home. I, I can get you home. I've got a hot air balloon. Well, you got to remember the wizard's an idiot. So he doesn't tie the hot air balloon down. So he gets in the hot air balloon and it takes off. And now Dorothy's just hanging out. She's just sitting there. And she's like, it's okay. You know what? I'll I'll live here. This is fine. And her followers are like, no, we got to do something. And then Glinda shows up again. And it's just like, anytime, if you're faithful to your mission, if you're faithful to what God has put you on this earth to do, mentors will show up and Glinda shows up. And she says, Dorothy, all you have to do is click your heels together and say, there's no place like home. And so she clicks her heels together and starts saying it. But what Glinda was really telling Dorothy was, you got to move your feet. You've got to do something. You got to take the step. And then when she said, you got to say, there's no place like home. What she was really saying is you got to believe more. You got to be more convicted to what your why is. So Glinda says, move your feet and believe more, right? Click your heels together, say there's no place like home. And Dorothy starts doing that. And this is the part of the story that most people forget. Dorothy was asleep the whole time. This was a dream. Everything that happened was a whole dream, which means that everything Dorothy needed and everything she wanted was already inside her, just like it's inside of you and, and anybody else. If you, if you just are quiet enough to search your heart and to search your mind, you actually have everything that you need. And so then I looked around at this retreat and I was like, that's why Dorothy's my favorite leader. <laughs> I just sat down. <laughs> But then I, I held on to that for 12 years. I call it Dorthinian leadership. I held on to it for the longest time. And Wednesday night before the uh, event, the Life on Fire event, I called up the event planner, Wendy. And I was like, hey, um, I know I gave you slides because I was going to do something else. I'm going to change those. And she's like, no, you're not because it's tomorrow. I said, like, look, I'll bring, you, I'll bring you four Red Bulls. And she's like, all right. <laughs> so, so I changed it the, the night before. 
And mind you, I was, I was really just hired to do these breathing exercises. Like I'm a, I'm a breathwork coach. And so, um, that's what I was hired to do, but I was like, you know, I need to, I need to prime them with the story, with the story. And so, and you were there. I mean, so like, what did you think? Man, I, I don't even know what to say after all that. That was, that was amazing. That's the second time I've heard you tell that story now. And I've got a page and a half of notes here already. <laughs> Man, it's much longer. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's just so much great stuff from that. No, I, I absolutely loved that you told that story. And then we went into some breathwork stuff after that. I mean, I, I had no idea that wasn't part of the plan until I was talking to you afterwards, but man. Yeah. I haven't told many people that. So I don't even think Nick knows that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Nick is listening now, you know, <laughs> now you know, <laughs> um, no, I, I think it's absolutely incredible. I, I honestly, I couldn't believe that you'd never told that story from stage before because it was so well put together. And I mean, that was amazing. All the, all the lessons and the way that you're tying it to current events and, and what people might be going through in their business or their life today. I, I think it was amazing. And I appreciate it, that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you mentioned at the end that you were, you're hired to do breath work and you did do some of that. So that's a great transition into, you know, I'd love to talk a little bit about breath work and, you know, the importance that that can play in improving your life. Yeah. Breath work has been something that it, as of late, it's been a, a real hot topic. Um, a couple of years ago is mindfulness, uh, you know, a few years ago, something else, but you, you go through these phases where people are like, this is the greatest thing ever. And it, to my recollection, it's Wim Hof has kind of brought a lot of breathing, uh, the importance of breathing to, to the consciousness of, of everybody. But he got them from thousands of years of research and looking like, what do people in the past have done? And he's done some amazing things. He ran a marathon barefoot in the, in the Arctic. I mean, he, he holds his breath. He's got, he does a lot of ice baths. Do you take ice baths? I've done some in the past. Yes. So I have oh, some. Experience. They're brutal, but they're, you feel so great afterwards. You know, if you can just get through that pain, which is like life, like if you can get through it, there's, there's beauty on the other side. And for me, I, during the pandemic, I was pre right before the pandemic, I kind of found hot yoga, right? I mean, hot yoga has been around for a long time, but in my life I found it and it was something that I had never really considered before. And so I go into this first yoga class and I had just gone through a, a pretty, pretty brutal breakup. And so here, here now I'll just be a little vulnerable on this man podcast, but I'm laying on the mat surrounded by people who are advanced yogis and they look like it. And I'm laying on my mat, sweating and crying, but nobody knew. So it was the one place I could be around people and also be fully emotional without people being like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Because no, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I just, I need to get through it. And so I would, I would look forward to these yoga classes so I could just get all these emotions out. And that's what happens when you go through these stretches and you, you hold these poses and you're breathing and you're sweating and it's hard and you just want to give up, but you're like, no, that's, I, I, I don't need to give up. And you start telling yourself, you start talking to yourself instead of start listening to yourself. You know, a lot of us just listen like, Hey, just give up. It's, this is, this is hard. Oh, okay. I'll do that. Said it was like, Hey, just give up. I'm like, no. I'm not going to give up. And these are all conversations in my own head, right? Just like Dorothy, everything was in her head. And so uh, right before the pandemic happened, there was this uh, yoga teacher training offered. And uh, I was like, you know what? That sounds for me, silly and scary. I'm going to do it. And so I joined this hot yoga certificate. I got my 200 hour and I, I was surrounded by 
just the most incredibly uh, encouraging and supportive women that I could have ever asked for in a time in my life where I just, I really needed that. I, I just needed a, a kind of a safe place to, to develop and to learn about myself. And, and you know, just because you go through these trainings doesn't mean you're actually be a teacher. Half of them just wanted to go through the training, but you know, for, for the guys that are listening, don't sleep on yoga, like go to yoga stretch. I mean, it's amazing. Hot yoga is a little more difficult in my opinion. Um, but for, for me, I just like the, the sweating of it and the, like the hard, like, this is very difficult. And through that, I noticed that it was really hard when I breathed shallow but then I read this book by James Nestor called Breath, and he talks about the importance of breathing and, and deep breathing and intentional breathing and slowing down your breaths. And so I really just dove into that. And uh, I had worked with some professional teams and some of them knew that I was doing yoga training and they were making fun of me, specifically a, a team in Chicago. And I was like, well, I don't think you guys can do it. And here are these huge men making millions of dollars that are like, we could do it. And I'm like, shut the door, turn the heater on, put the towels down. So I went through a very terribly led yoga session because I didn't know what I was doing, but I'm like downward dog. And they're like, what? I'm like, just do this. And now do this. And I'm just like, hit this pose. I didn't even know the names of them, but uh, they were game. And I just remember some of them. And it, what's funny is like, you see them doing something that it's, it's not easy for them, but you see them on TV and they're playing basketball and they're just flying through the air and stuff. But then you have them hold a pose standing on one leg and sweat is just dripping off their face. And after they're done, they're just like, coach, that was amazing. Like that felt so good. And I'm like, yeah, like this is what I'm doing. And they didn't make fun of me anymore. And then uh, I just started getting asked, Hey, will you just walk us through these, these breathing exercises? So that's kind of how I got into breath work. Uh, I had taken a bunch of courses and I was doing it for myself and with the yoga and the breathing and other things that I've done in my life, you never know how God is going to use those in the future. You just don't, you know, but what you don't want is an opportunity to come up and you didn't prepare when you could have, because I believe that no opportunity is lost. It's just given to somebody else. So the opportunity is there and there's an abundance of opportunity if you're open to it, but if you haven't prepared, it's going to go to someone else. And so that's, that's breathing. And, and just the whole idea behind it is we breathe really shallow most of the time, but when you do these deep breaths and you do this Wim Hof type breathing, it really, uh, it helps the, the immune system. It helps um, decrease inflammation. It also gives you a sense of clarity. And so I walked through a breathing session this morning with some of the guys from something that's called the King's Council. And uh, the guys who, who lead that, I walked them through this, uh, this breathing activity that you're going to upgrade your marriage, right? And on Sunday, on, on Monday is upgrade your human. And so I'm going to be leading them through like this hour long session, which they won't be getting Wizard of Oz. They would just be getting the breathing, but uh, it's, it, I'm really looking forward to that. That's awesome. I, I love some of the things you said there. No opportunity is lost. And yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Most people breathe so shallow. I know I started looking into some breathing stuff a couple of years ago as well. And it, it's crazy. You know, even the short breath work stuff that we did at uh, that event a couple of weeks ago. I mean, I noticed such a big difference in my level of clarity immediately afterwards and focus. So as, that's really cool. And that was so only 11 minutes long. Yeah, it was, that was, that was short. So I, you know, I'd love to see what, what it would look like in an hour. Yeah. You know, your, your, 
your consciousness, like it, it levels up. It's just, it's very weird. It's, it's, you're getting high on your own supply. That's what Wim Hof says. And I love that because there's no uh, narcotics involved. There's no alcohol. It's just, you're on, you're literally just um, heightening your sense of awareness and you feel really good afterwards. You know, you mentioned that some athletes that you've worked with and you've worked with lots of, lots of athletes from, uh, you know, all across the spectrum, but I'm curious from your perspective, like, what do you think entrepreneurs could learn from elite athletes? That's a great question. There's not a whole lot of difference in the, uh, the level of effort that you need to put in as far as like a professional basketball player, professional football player, as opposed to uh, an entrepreneur. Uh, my, my business is called Unleash the Athlete, and I believe that there's an athlete in all of us. And I think some people think I only deal with athletes, but what I'm really doing is teaching people how to train in their life as an athlete. So things like discipline, hard work, teamwork, uh, being able to uh, communicate, like these are all things that the athletes need, but also as an entrepreneur, you, you need those as well. And so you can set up a schedule like uh, I worked at a school in Florida called IMG Academy, and, and they those are those high school athletes are like the best in the world. A lot of them are, and they have this schedule where they have to be in class half the day, you know, up till noon, and then they have lunch, and then they work on their sport the other half of the day, and they train really really hard. But school is also really really hard too. As an adult, we can apply that in. I have a set time. I wake up. I get these things done. I go take care of my body. And now I take care of my family and my relationships. Like there's, there's a way to, and I don't believe balance is real, but like life balance, work-life balance is such a dumb thing because there are times when you need to train for the marathon of life. And then there's other times where you need to do some sprints and there's going to be some uphill sprints and you might have to carry some load with you. And, and there, you might have a baby, <laughs> you might get married, you, you might, you know, have a death in the family. Uh, you might, there might be a global pandemic. Like <laughs> you've no idea what's going to happen, but you have to adjust. And when, you know, you know, when a professional basketball player goes to shoot the ball, he's not by himself. Most of the time, there's someone right in his face trying to stop him from shooting the ball. And you have to be able to adjust and, and see that and make a different move. As an entrepreneur, it's the same thing. You've got this business plan. You've got all the, the capital that you need. You've got the people in place. And then someone steals your idea and goes and does it. Or uh, the, the funding goes away. Or you, you find out that you can't do that for whatever reason. There's, there's restrictions. There's all these things, right? You have to adjust. And so if you are disciplined enough and you have a strong enough why of why you're doing this and, and your mission and you, know, you won't be deterred, there's not much difference between an athlete and an entrepreneur. Great stuff there. So I mentioned in your bio, your do say be formula. I'd love if you could just briefly walk us through what exactly that is. Oh man, I, I, I came across this just in, in reading a bunch of leadership books. And what I found is that there's this formula for leadership first thing you got to do is literally do the work, like get in the trenches, get the education, get the experience. You have to do, you know, just like Dorothy, she needs to move her feet. You know, you have to do the work. And so I usually do these with like a, you know, like a high school leadership team. There's like three or 400 people at this one high school. And it's a whole, it's a whole day. After that, it, you start to learn the lingo. You start to understand 
what to say and how to say it. And that's the say part. Right? You earn your voice. So do the work, earn your voice. And so you're, you're able to talk a little bit. A lot of potential leaders or, or future leaders will come into a situation and just be like, all right, here's my opinion on everything. Here's how I can fix everything. And everybody who's been there is like, shut your mouth, sit down and uh, earn, earn your right to speak. You know, so you can really shoot yourself in the foot as a new leader by coming in and starting to change everything starting to, to give your opinions. Like you, you got to be around a little bit. So you do the work, you earn your voice after a time, people see that you've done the work. People figure out that, you know, what you're saying, you know, what you're talking about. That's when you be a leader, you become a leader. And too many people try to, even as an entrepreneur, you're just like, look, I'm going to start a company and I don't need mentorship. I don't need coaches. And that's a recipe for failure. Like you're going to fail. Now, as an entrepreneur, failing is part of the process. Like you're, if you just hit that one thing, you're like, oh, look, well, Zuckerberg was in college. Now look at, he's head of Facebook. And it's like, yeah, okay. Well, so if you're going to compare what happened once to one person in the history of mankind, chances are, it's probably not going to happen to you. There's a good chance you're going to come up with 12, 13, 14 ideas, go all in and fail on all of them. And then boom, you have your thing. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter your, what your background is. You just do the work, earn your voice and become a leader in that space. And you just keep doing that. You never stop doing that. I noticed that the people in the front row at the conference you and I were at last week, were all taking notes. You know, and the, the even the speakers, you know, uh, James and um, when when Joe Theismann was there, like they were taking notes on the other speakers. That's a very important thing. And, um, you know, I was over at the speaker table on the side and I'm, I'm just I got pages and pages of notes of people who have heard them speak before. But you just continue to learn. And there's if you can get one thing, one nugget from a conference, it was worth it. Yeah, 100 percent. I totally agree with that. Like if you can just, if you can walk away with one thing, it was well worth it. And, sure. you know, I don't, I don't care how many times I've heard, you know, I've probably been to 10 Tony Robbins conferences, but every time I go, I'm in a different place. And so I'm always taking notes, even if I've heard the same stories over and over again. And you know, the, the do say be, I love that to earn your voice. That's, that's really good. That really stood out to me, you know? Well, yeah, for- we, I mean, we live in this society where everybody has a voice. All you have to do is get a Instagram page. And all of a sudden you're, you have a voice and you just throw stuff out there and Twitter, just throw stuff out there. But people, people will be impressed with that at first. And then they'll start realizing, oh, this person's just repeating what other people say. Like they don't actually have any substance or any content. They're just, they're throwing up quotes, you know, inspirational quotes, but they're not actually backing it up with the work. And so if you do the work first, you know, uh, Steve Martin, one of my favorite entertainers, he's He would call himself a banjo player. You and I know him as a comedian and an actor and all this stuff, but he's just like, I'm just a banjo player. He has this quote long ago and it says, be so good that they can't ignore you. That's doing the work. You will be found. But if you spend all that energy that you should be doing the work in just trying to get found, like Justin Bieber, for example, he was just playing the drums in his kitchen on YouTube. And Usher was like, this kid's got some talent. Bieber wasn't going, I hope Usher finds me. He was just being like, this is me. And this is me just doing what I like to do. And, you know, now he's Justin Bieber as we all, you know, people are believers or Bieber's or whatever they call him. But 
You just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing and getting better at it. And you'll get found. You'll find your niche. Yeah, that's good stuff. I love that uh, that Steve Martin quote as well. And great analogy with Justin Bieber. All right. So last question for you here, James. What is your definition of an extraordinary man? Oh, man. You know, when you, when you ask that, the first thing I think of is the Dos Equis guy. Or no, what is it? He's like, uh, I don't always drink beer, but when I do, or something like, you know what I'm talking about? The most extraordinary man in the world. Yes, yes I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Sitting there at the table and he's, you know, I don't think that's an extraordinary man. I think an extraordinary man is somebody who isn't afraid of the hard work of life, who isn't seeking attention, but is seeking to make a difference. And, and through that actually gains attention. It's not difficult to set yourself apart from the average person because most people are so distracted by just everything in life. But I think an extraordinary man looks to God for guidance and then works in his life as if there is no God. You know, that, that old adage where people say, uh, pray like it's up to God, work like it's up to you. You know, I should have that tattooed on my forehead because like, I believe that, you know, God ordains life and he, he's involved intimately with every single person. But I also believe that he appreciates that I'm working as if I got nothing. Like I got a, I got a blow on my sails from my own lungs, but too many people are just sitting there in a boat and they're like, God, where should I go? And God's like, put up your sail. <laughs> like you're just sitting there. I got all these winds of opportunity and you're just sitting there with sail down. So yeah, I think an extraordinary man is somebody who focuses more on, on serving others than serving himself. That is a great answer. I love that. Great analogy to sitting in the sailboat. I see that all the time as well. Sometimes God is just like, look, I've, I've given you two hands and two feet. Go get to work, right? So love that definition. This has been awesome, James. Where can people go to find out more about you and connect with you? jamesleith.com. That's, that's where everything's at. Uh, all my social is just my name, nothing special. Um, but yeah, so jamesleet.com, my, my company's called unleash the athlete and, uh, I'm just I'm out there just working, man. Just trying to figure it out. Leading by example. All right. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show, James. I appreciate you, man. It's good to meet you and good to see you again. Guys, thanks so much for joining me on another episode of the extraordinary man podcast. Do you want a free one-on-one -on -one business accelerator coaching call with me personally? Go to aoemen.simplecast.com and click on the free coaching tab at the top. I've specifically set aside five spots for listeners of this episode and they're available on a first-come, first-served basis. Again, to take advantage of this exclusive and limited time offer, go to aoemen.simplecast.com now. Until next time, remember to go out there and become the man you were created to be. I'll see you on the next episode.